The, the great reformer uh, Martin Luther said that as a Christian, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the wallet. You know, last gathering, uh, we heard my father, Dave Briggs, teach on money and finances, and the point of his message was just three words. Money is relationship. Right? How we approach and how we use money has a chance to draw us closer to God or away from God. And how we approach and use our money has an opportunity to bring us closer to people or away from people. That money is relationship. And because Jesus talked about money more than any other topic except love, we come to the realization that talking and exploring and discovering what Jesus said about money is an important part of our discipleship. And because we're a church committed to discipleship, this is an important thing for us to talk about. So if you're new with us, you may be thinking, this is kind of a weird Sunday to show up. But we want you to understand that this is what we care about, of becoming more like Jesus and reflecting Him. And so that embodies all of our lives, including our finances. So over the next several weeks... Minus Easter, we're going to go nuts next week on the resurrection. But the next several weeks, we're going to continue to explore this topic of uh, finances and stewardship and generosity and how it relates to our heart and our faith and how we approach God. Now, I want to share something uh, with you that I read just a few weeks ago that totally knocked me off my socks uh, uh, regarding the early Christians and their mindset while they lived in a deeply pagan culture. This is what Tim Keller said. He said, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. And in doing so, in the first century... It became the light in a dark world in this pagan culture simply because of what they did with two things, their money and their sexuality. By the way, in our culture today, you guys know the, number two, the top two reasons why people get divorced, right? Sex and money. This idea of sex and money and what we do with it in our culture matters. It matters a great deal. And we all need models. We need models in our lives to show us how to live. Mentors or experts, gurus, those that have gone ahead of us a little bit that can train us, that can help us to learn to live out in the real life what may seem difficult for us to grasp, right? Some of us may need that in terms of a coach or an expert when we're learning a new sport or in the business world, or business mentors, or even parenting models. Some of you have said, I need parenting models because I didn't even grow up with a dad. I don't know how to be a dad now. And so we need models that we look to. But even in how we think about our finances, we need models who can show us what it means to honor God with our stuff, with our finances, what's been entrusted to us, and how we do that. And let me ask you this question. Who is the most generous person that you know? Who's the most generous person you know? Who's the person who gives the most of themselves, their time and their lives and their experience and their money and their stuff, even when they don't necessarily have the time or the money to give it, they still give it? Who is the most generous person that you know? When I have asked this question, most people think long and hard and they say, I can't really think of anybody. Or it takes them a long time to think of one or two people. 
Now, fortunately for us, we have a model that we're going to look at this morning um, that shows us some people who have been incredibly generous. So I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Hopefully you got in the weekly email um, this week. And if you don't have the weekly email, I want to encourage you this week, please sign up and subscribe to it. It's a great way to stay connected. Um, but I encouraged you all in the weekly email this week to, to I challenge you to read ahead 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So hopefully you had a chance to do that. And if you have, it's going to give you a running start. Uh, because I'm not going to read all of 8 and 9 just for the sake of time. But uh, hopefully you had a chance to do that, and, and if not, I want to encourage you even after the teaching to go home and to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, now Paul is writing, just to give you a background here, Paul is writing his second letter to the church in Corinth, now, which Corinth is south-central Greece, it's about 50 miles uh, west of Athens, and uh, Paul spends two chapters talking about these models that we have for our lives. He spends two chapters talking about Christians in the Macedonian churches, which impressed and inspired and challenged and encouraged Paul. So much so that he actually wanted to turn around and inspire and encourage uh, and, and challenge the church there in Corinth. And one of the main things that we notice about these Macedonian Christians is their generosity. And Paul goes on and on and on about how generous these people are. So let me ask you this question. If we're going to talk about generosity, how would you define generosity? Lots of ways we probably could define it, but one of the best definitions I've heard uh, is this, a willingness to share with others which involves personal sacrifice. There's a lot of people that share, but people that share when it involves personal sacrifice, that's when they're being generous, right? If it doesn't impact me on a personal level to sacrifice something, I'm just sharing. That's a good thing, but to be generous, I've got to take a hit. It's got to be a personal sacrifice on my part for that to occur. So with that in mind, let's look at what Paul says in this passage. And again, we're going to jump through this pretty quickly um, because it's a big text. But uh, right off the bat in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty, they well up in rich generosity. Now, it says the most severe trial. We don't know what that trial is. It's not given, but it's pretty significant. It's pretty significant. Then he says their extreme poverty and then their joy, all of that led to generosity. Now, listen, if there was ever a group, if there was ever a group of people that had the excuse to say, we just would love to give, but we can't, this was the group. Incredible trial, deep poverty. I can't. I can't do it. And yet Paul says that it did not hold them back. The point is this, and this is really important for us to think about. Next slide. The generosity is unrelated to how much we make or how much money we have in the bank. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us have ever thought, man, if I just had a little bit more money, I would, I'm sure I would give more. If, if I just made a little bit more, I would give more. And you know what? That sounds great, but data don't lie. <laughs> There's lots of surveys that have been done among thousands of households, and they found that the more money American households make, the smaller percentage they give to charitable causes. So when we say, I just, if I had more money, I don't have enough money. If I had more money, I, I would be more generous. The truth is, that's actually not true. 
And if anybody had a chance to say this, it was the Macedonian church. We don't have any money, and we would give if we had more. You know what they said? We don't have any money, and we want to give more. In verse 3, Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Not only did they give what they were able to give in their extreme poverty, but above and beyond even their ability to do so. It seems that they were a bit uh, financially promiscuous. You know what financial promiscuity is, right? It's the person who quite literally can't keep their wallet in their pants. <laughs> right? That's financial promiscuity. People say, I just, I just can't keep it in my pants. I, I just cannot keep my wallet in my pants. See, generosity can never be forced. Forced generosity no longer is generosity. It's something entirely different. Just like you can't force grace, you can't force generosity. Then it becomes duty or obligation or just a financial transaction, but it ain't generosity. So I just got to pause and, like, I've just re been reflecting all week on the Macedonian church and thinking, imagine if we were known as being a church full of financially promiscuous people. Like, what would that look like? Like, where people look at you like, wait, you gave how much for God's purposes? Like, you're kidding me, right? And then it gets even worse. Look at these people in verse 4. Look, where they, look at what Paul says. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. When was the last time you pleaded with someone to give your resources? No, no, no. Not, not that you pleaded that they would give you their resources. But you pleaded that you could give your resources to them. When was the last time somebody said, no, 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 please, we beg you. Like, don't rob us of this opportunity. Like, please don't tell us no. We want to give you money. <laughs> That's what these Macedonian churches are doing. In verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, did you notice the order here? This is really important. They gave to the Lord first and to causes second. Generosity is always focused first toward the Lord. Now, let me... Let me let me press in a little bit more on this because this is really important. There are so many good causes out there. There are good causes that we should give to. We give as a church to good causes. But here's the problem. If we give the causes first, before we give to the Lord, we're missing the point because we've got it backwards. We give to the Lord first and the causes second. Here's the difference. If we give the causes first and the Lord second, here, here are some dangerous ramifications that can happen. First, we be, begin to believe that God needs our money. The truth is God doesn't need our money. And God's not up in heaven going, oh, myself, what am I going to do? Like, I just don't know how it's going to, how's this coming together? He doesn't need our money. And if we give the causes first before giving to the Lord, we can get burned out because there are so many causes. We can never give enough money to meet every cause of the need that's out there. And so we can grow cynical and worn out and burned out and just say, I just give up. I, I just can't keep up. 
And the third thing is that we can begin to believe, and this is really dangerous, that this is my money, and I will choose to do what I want to do with my money because it's mine. And when a better cause comes up, I will choose to give there. And when they don't cut, uh, hold up their end of the bargain in that cause, I will withhold my giving. And so when we give the causes first and the Lord second, we really get it messed up. We give to the Lord first and then to causes. When we give to the Lord, He uses that actually to meet the needs, to help causes. But the order is important. Verse 8 says this. Paul says, I'm not commanding you to the, to the church in Corinth, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. This is, what, this is what Paul's getting at. That generosity is tangible evidence of our love of God. It is tangible evidence of our love of God. Now, we say that we love God, but here's what Paul would say to us if he walked in to renew. I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. This is what he would say to us. He's like, you say you love God? Show me your credit card statements. Show me your bank accounts. Show me your checking account. And I'll show you actually what you worship. That's what Paul's saying. This is, a, this is a test of the sincerity of our heart, of our faith. That it will reveal what we care about if we put all our bank statements out. But here's the cool thing. That generous people actually do meet needs. And the Macedonian church, they met needs. So we give to the Lord, but... In doing so, it meets needs. So you know we support a, a pastor in India. And the great thing is that two years ago, the pastor came to us and said, we need to put a new roof on our church. And guess what? You all gave, and they now have a roof on their church in India. Last year, they came and said, we need a van to be able to get to remote villages, to be able to help spread the word among, through our missionaries in rural tribes. And guess what? You all provided through generosity for this van. Now here's the cool thing and why I'm proud of you all. I love the fact that our, doesn't, our, our church doesn't have a building. We don't have a roof that we own. We don't have a church van. But we could help some other church halfway across the world through generosity so that they have a church building and they have a church band. Isn't that cool? And you remember when we celebrated that, when that happened? That was really cool. That was really cool. Now, someone else here within Renew last year uh, lost their job, and they were in financial, uh, a real financial bind. And someone in the church found out about it. And they wrote a sizable check and handed it to somebody and said, this is anonymous, don't tell them who it's from. And they had such great joy in being able to give and provide. And that person opened up and went, and they just started crying. Right? Needs are met when people are generous. And that's what we see with the Macedonian church, that generous people meet needs. In verse 12 of chapter 8, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You see, when the Bible talks about money, it is not talking about a financial transaction. It is always a spiritual transaction. It is not primarily a number for a bank statement. It is the motivations and the fears and the hopes and the levels of trust in the heart of an individual. I want to show you a great video that shows us what happens when generous people are willing to be generous and how it meets needs. This is called I Like Car.
I've probably watched that video 10 times, and each time I say, I'll get through this one without crying. It's 11. <laughs> why, do the, why does that move us? It's because God's wired us in a way that that brings joy. Despite what the world says, no, 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 joy is when you get to keep and you spend stuff on yourself. And God says, that's, that's not how I wired you. It's not how I put your body together. I don't know if you caught it. I didn't catch it until this second time. You see your license plate, J. Jira? You know what Jehovah Jireh means? The Lord will provide. It's kind of cool, isn't it? And real generosity is expressed cheerfully. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each of you should give what they have decided in their hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is really cool. In the original language, the word cheerful, you know what it means? Hilarious. <laughs> God loves a hilarious giver is what that verse means. So spiritually speaking, financial promiscuity is hilarious. Financial promiscuity is hilarious. Uh, there was a, a man who was out to, to dinner, um, true story, a man that was out to dinner with about 15, 20 of his friends. And they were there, and uh, during that time, the, uh, uh, someone at the table struck up a conversation with the waitress and found out that she was going through a very difficult time uh, financially. She was working three different jobs, and there were some health issues and some problems there. And, and uh, so... Uh, at the end of the, the night, uh, as the bill was about to come, uh, people at the table began to say, hey, you know, we, sh we should really tip her really well. What do you think we should tip? And uh, they said, I think we should tip 100% of the bill. You know, 15, 20 people, that's a lot of people. And, uh, and as the bill was about to come, the Lord really spoke to this one man and said, you're going to pay for the whole thing, everybody, including the bill, including the tip of the bill. And the man's like, I don't have a lot of money, and I mean, gosh, like, this isn't something I can just do. I said, you're going to do it anyway. And so this person, this man picked up the bill and uh, put, it, put it on his credit card, and uh, a, a few days later, got an email sent to him from the credit card company. And the credit card company said, we're flagging this for fraud because nobody tips 100%. And the man just laughed and laughed and laughed. He said, even the algorithm thought this was fraud. <laughs> because nobody does this. Financial promiscuity is hilarious. That even the credit card companies say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Nobody does that. That has to be an error, right? And all the man did was laugh and hit delete. It wasn't a fraud. He didn't need to call. It's exactly what it should have been. Generosity is closely tied with joy. And these Christians in the Macedonian churches had joy. And it's why they pleaded and begged for the privilege of giving. They said, don't rob us of our joy. Now, some of you know, that in addition to my role here at Renew, I've got some other ministry opportunities and responsibilities and leadership outside of Renew. And so part of that means that I'm required to raise a, a, a portion of my income. 
And uh, I don't love doing that, but the Lord has shown up and has always been faithful. And so while it's uncomfortable, it's amazing what I've learned through other people's generosity. And I sat down like I do regularly, and I was writing out thank you notes uh, to, to my donors. And I wrote a thank you note. And the next time I talked to the person, they said, hey, thanks for your note. And I, I know you mean well, but like, you don't have to do that. And I said, no, I, I just want you to know I'm appreciative and thank you. And they say, Jared, it's a joy. This isn't like a burden for us to support what you're doing. Like, we want to do this, whether we get a thank you note or not. And it was just so humbling for me to realize this is the Macedonian church posture. They just say, I'm doing this not for you. I'm doing it for the Lord, and I get joy out of it. And because of this, this idea of joy, I mean, you've heard a, a, a few gatherings ago that our giving boxes, our offering boxes have been renamed, right? They're now, we're now calling them joy boxes because of this very thing of the Macedonian church and what they've modeled for us. Um, the Macedonian church didn't see this as a financial transaction. They saw it as a spiritual transaction. See, when it's a financial transaction, we feel obligation or drudgery or duty, or maybe we don't feel anything at all. Uh, we were talking about this in an elder meeting. When it's just a financial uh, obligation or a financial transaction, Tim said, it's like paying your electric bill. But when it's a spiritual transaction, that's where the joy kicks in. If I'm just doing this, well, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, I'm supposed to, you know, I'm a missionary. I feel bad for them. You know, oh, I should give this project because, you know, I'll, I'll probably feel a little warm and fuzzy a little bit. No, no, no. <laughs> that's a financial transaction. Jesus says, I'm asking you to see your money as spiritual transactions. And it's why the new joy boxes, and I would encourage you to give. When you, when you give, you're going to notice something on the inside of the boxes. <laughs> because when you give, we hope that you experience joy. Because that's what it's about. But the cool thing is this. That, that generosity not only brings joy, but it also brings gratitude. Look in verses 11 and 12. It says, Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's bizarre, but when you, when you are generous, when we give generously instead of making us mad or guilty or fearful, when we do it right, it actually makes us joyful. This is how God has wired us. Look at verse 13. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Generosity moves other people closer to God. And here's the cool thing on that video. Catherine, her generosity to widows, inspired other people to be generous. They wanted to keep it anonymous. They couldn't, so other people were encouraged and inspired. And guess what? A lot of us are wiping our eyes. And Catherine's generosity through a video screen of technology brings us closer to God, too, by going, God really is someone I can trust. How cool is that? We're never going to meet Catherine. But Catherine's generosity has inspired us. Generosity inspires. And when Paul ends this section talking about these suffering poverty-stricken, pleading, expectation-exceeding, inspiring, joyful, generous people in the Macedonian churches. In verse 15, he writes this, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Imagine if people 
If they were asked, who are the most generous people you know? Imagine if the first thing that came to their minds there, I don't know much about them, but those Christians that meet in the gym at the Boys and Girls Club, that's them. Like imagine if that's the first thing that came to people's minds. And how is that possible that we can even dream and imagine and challenge and pray and lean into something like that? How is that even possible? Because it is possible for us to be a kingdom financially promiscuous church. And why is that? Because God has been so promiscuous in his love with us. He didn't hold back. He didn't say, I'll give you a little bit. I'll ration out my love for you. He unloaded his love on us. When he didn't need to, he didn't have to, but he did it simply because he loved us. To give generously, we do this because we've been given to so generously. And we have a model, and it was long before, and it was much more significant than the Macedonian churches. It was the person of Jesus that we're leading up to. We're journeying to next Sunday where we celebrate the empty tomb because of a lovingly promiscuous God. And we lead up to Holy Week as God the Father gave His Son to die on our behalf so that we could be free. So free that we can actually be generous to others of what already belongs to God. He's just entrusted it to us and said, I've been generous with my love. Now you tangibly go show others about my generosity by what you do with my stuff that I've entrusted to you. Let's pray. God, thanks for the Macedonian church. Thanks for Paul being inspired and challenged and encouraged enough to want to share that with, with the Corinthians. And then we benefit from eavesdropping in on the conversation. Lord, uh, for some of us, again, money's very emotional. And we've only seen the negative sides of it. Oh, it feels like manipulation. The church just wants my money. But Lord, I just pray that you would beat away all of those things that the evil one wants us to, to hang on to, that isn't the truth. And I pray we would be a church that would understand what the Macedonian church did in their poverty of begging to be a part of this because they knew the joy that was available to them. Lord, give us joy in our giving. Not happiness, give us joy. Give us joy. And Lord, thank you for the infectious smile and the laughter of someone like Catherine on this video. Lord, I pray that we would do more of that. Thank you that we get to support pastors around the world and we get to support unemployed people in our church. And, we get to, and Lord, I pray those stories would inspire even more stories of people being more generous moving forward. God, teach us how generous you were with us so that we can be generous to other people. And while the world is promiscuous in giving their bodies to just about everybody and their money to nobody, I pray we would do what the early church did and hardly give our bodies to anybody while we give our money to practically everybody. And what an example that would be in a world where Christians aren't seen so highly these days that they would say, I can't speak poorly of those people because of what they do with their money and their sexuality. So help us be those kinds of people. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.